Well, good morning. Woo! Yeah, y'all awake now? Well, welcome to Battleground Community Church this morning. If you're watching online or whether you're here, open up your Bibles. Uh, sadly, of course, not like we're not ever going to go to James again. Uh, well, we'll probably never expositionally study through James again. So this is our, our last week in James. If you're, if you're, I guess, with us, this is what we do every week. You know where we're going to be because we preach whatever's next. And uh, what comes next in James is quite an amazing way to end a letter. Just imagine you wrote a letter. How would you end it? <laughs> but to some degree, as you find James chapter 5 and verse 19... Our understanding and grasp of these two verses depend on the future of Battleground Community Church or whatever church you're part of. How well we do this, we will never rise above it. And so let us grasp this today. Stand with me in honor of God's word. Of James chapter 5, as we close out this amazing letter in verse 19. My brothers... If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to you, we don't come with any pretense. We come to you honestly with the state of our heart and the questions in our life exposed before you. Just while we are here, we are not here because we have it together, Lord, but precisely because we don't. And so, God, we've gathered ourselves in our brokenness and in our fears and in our confusions and whatever that is, and Lord, we put it before you. And not only that, Lord, we got people in our lives that we love and they don't love you right now. We've got people in our lives that have wandered away. Lord, this is an important text for so many of us. And so God, help us. Help us to know what is our responsibility in this. Rescue the perishing. Bring back the wanderer. Even those that are not here today, pursue them by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I was reading Ecclesiastes. I actually listened to a message. Uh, like Alistair Begg, I like his accent. I always wish I could talk like him. I was listening to him, and he was preaching a series out of Ecclesiastes. He was in Ecclesiastes 4. You don't have to go there uh, if you've ever studied it. We've studied it before. You know, the reflections of an old man who had wasted much of his life and now had the ability to look back at his life and offer a perspective, whether we heed it or not. He said it's sometimes often bleak to live under the sun. We see powerful people oppressing other people. Nobody seems to care or we're willing to step in the gap. <laughs> he he says in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 2 and 3, that it seems like the unborn and the dead have it better than I do sometimes. He said, I work hard, but then I only discovered that most of my hard work was driven by envy. But if we don't work hard, 
and we opt for laziness, verse 5 says we destroy ourselves. A man works all his life to accumulate his stuff only to find his family gone and nobody to enjoy it with. And how about our bodies? Pain, infection, heartache, and death. Sin, brothers and sisters, has permeated everything in our life. Even those who are supposed to help us, enslave us. Psychiatrists now call sinful behavior diseases. And they lock people away from recovery and healing, be it children or adults, by just giving them a pill and say, see you next week. And the natural response to this, even amongst those who believe, can be just to give up. Or as we're looking today, to just walk away. So what should we do? What is our responsibility? Are those who wander away in danger of hell? Do I have a part to play in God's plan to keep his own? Now you think about that. Do you have a part? Do I have a part to play in God's plan to keep his own children? If it is, we don't want to miss it. So the main idea today, radical faith. By the way, radical faith, what we said through the whole series, is authentic faith. It's a living faith. It's a working faith. Radical faith perseveres by pursuing wandering believers and restoring them back into fellowship with God and his people. Two points. We actively pursue and we seek to restore. First, we pursue the wanderers. Look at verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. So James has talked about a litany of problems that happen within the body of Christ. From worldliness to sinful obedience, how we use our mouth, you remember? Quarreling with each other, arrogance. But he leans in here to the reality first that people within the body of Christ wander away. And this being every person's responsibility. And if you don't know, and if you don't put it together today, church discipline is the very context of what we are talking about. And here's what we are saying. It is every person's responsibility to pursue and to bring back those who wander away. In other words, we are the wanderers. All of us have been. Some of us will be. These are the ones who professed They professed faith in Jesus Christ. They were once active in the body of Christ, but they have wandered away. There's two realities to these wanderers that you don't need to miss. Sometimes true believers wander into patterns of sin. They do. It happens. James has already told us that. James 3, 2 says we all stumble in all kinds of ways. Goal is maturity. That's our goal. Our collective goal together. But we don't always move forward in that, do we? <laughs> Times we move a little bit forward and then back a quarter of a mile, up a mile, back a half a mile. That's the Christian life. Sometimes true believers wander into patterns of sin. But listen, there's a second kind of wonder. Sometimes those who profess to be believers wander away and do not return because they were never truly born again. Listen to what John says, 1 John 2, 19 and 20. 
says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. There's two kinds of wanderers. Believers who wander and those who wander because they were never born again to start with. How can you tell the difference? You can't. It's not our job here. What's our job here? Pursue the wanderer, right? We don't know the final state of any man's heart. It's not your job, not my job. My job is to pursue them till they die or Jesus comes back. We wander from something. We wander from the truth. You see the text? You do not wander from your problems. Your problems follow you because your problems are in you. It's true. Get a new job. Get a new spouse. Get a new family. Get a new state. <laughs> and here's what you're going to find within a few weeks or a few months. Problems still there. Why? Because the problem's inside of us. We wonder not from our problems. We wonder from the truth. And when we wonder from the truth, we begin to pursue truth somewhere else. And someone else and something else. When somebody, this is just true, and you, if you hadn't faced it, you will. When you can't reconcile the God you serve and the brokenness we face, we, pretend, we have a tendency to wonder. When you can't recon, reconcile these two, the God that I serve in the heart of life, here's what we are prone to do to wonder. What does that word wonder mean? It is a passive verb. It means this is happening to you. It means to deceive. It means to be misled. This means that the first step in wondering is to believe a lie. If you don't deal with that lie, wondering ensues. The principle here of all of your life, of all of my life, is in the midst. This is the point of Ecclesiastes. In the, in the midst of a broken, ever-changing world, there has to be an absolute truth by which you anchor yourself in your life. And if you, and you reject one truth, you will simply adopt another one. And listen, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, listen to what I'm saying this morning. Stop taking your children's rebellion so personally. They are wondering against the truth. It's more serious than you. It's not about you. It's about the truth in their life. And if you take it personally, you become part of the problem. Because if you take it personally, you remove yourself from being able to shepherd the heart of the problem. If I took everything personally that people had said about me, I wouldn't have made your pastor six months. It's not personal. It's sin. It's against the truth. And our job is to pursue them. Take, come, take what comes. What's the truth that we wander from? have been singing about Jesus. We know that He is the truth. But it, it looks like what we believe or what we practice. You believe something, whatever that is, whether you realize it or not, if you don't know what you believe, the culture's just giving you what you believe, and you will act on it. 
just like in the garden, we believe a lie and sin explodes. This is why people say sin is like cancer. Cancer in your body will seldom stay contained. If you ignore it, it will spread. It will get into your bloodstream and it will infest and take over and destroy your whole body and so will sin. Galatians 5, 7, Paul says to the church, you were running well, listen to what he says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? You see that? A tr- the truth is not something to just believe philosophically. What you believe will inevitably produce how you live, the decisions you make. And the truth is we often wonder. First Peter says we were like straying sheep who strayed away to this or that. And this is the truth. When a wanderer wanders into sin, they will almost always wander away from the community of faith. You can see it in people's eyes before it even happens. Oh, they may still go to church nowadays. You can do that now. Do you realize that? You got sin that you desire, so you begin to pull away from the the truth, and when you do, you will not be around gospel-preaching, gospel-living people. Well, now you can just go to an affirming church that affirms what you want to believe. They won't challenge you. They'll all just say, we're just all on one big happy team, so let's just sing Kumbaya that Jesus comes back. There's churches like that. They'll either ignore your sin or affirm your sin. That, brothers and sisters, is not a church. No matter what they have on the outside of their building. This is a sobering truth. We've got to get to the hard before we see the, the beautiful. Turn with me. I want you to see it. One of the clearest passages about how dangerous wandering is. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 and verse 23. We usually, you'll oftentimes hear... Verses 23, 24, 25, a lot of times at the end of a sermon is application. But I want you to see this is one, one strain of thought, one, one pattern of life that he's concerned about. These are Jewish believers that are being tempted to return to Judaism to escape persecution. They don't want to suffer the way they're suffering. Life is too hard to be a Christian. Notice what the author warns them of first. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Do you see, this is one thought. Do you see the slide? You embrace a lie. You will immediately begin to forsake, to not prioritize, What we are doing now. And what this could lead to in your life is what he is warning them. Outright apostasy. Outright apostasy. 
By the way, these are people, if they embrace this lie, they apostatize themselves, they will still attend the temple every week. This lack of faithfulness and gathering for worship, listen, it's a simple way you can examine your own selves. The, the lack of faith in gathering for worship is one of the first indications that you are already wandering. Because the first thing that happens is you lose a desire for biblical community it simply doesn't prioritize in your life and what I need you to see what James needs you to see is we are in this thing together we are part of God's economy the family is ordained by God both the family you live in every day and this one it is important for our life because if we pull away from community and family, we could be deceived and begin to be wandering and we don't even see it. The command here is bring them back. Bring them back. Now that word in here in verse 19, bring them back, could be when someone turns for salvation. Or it could be this context, simply someone who is like a sheep who has wandered away. So reason, Micah used that verse. We go and pursue them. That's the context for what James is saying. James, again, is just teaching you what Jesus has taught him. Last week, we talked about conduits. You remember? We looked at the sprinkler systems. The sprinkler, this, this pipe is a conduit. It is bringing water in case something catches on fire. We'll all get wet, but we won't burn up. Good news. We are conduits. We said last week, that's what he taught us. We are conduits that bring healing Today, we are conduits that bring restoration. We are. Don't make a mistake. You're not God's grace. You're not God's grace. You're a conduit of God's grace. God's grace is what brings back the wanderer. God's spirit is what convicts them of sin. God's spirit is the one who grants repentance. But we are the conduits. This, brothers and sisters, is the normal part of the Christian life. Pursue them in order to see them restored. There is an important tool in your toolbox if you're going to be a pursuer. Truth and love. The frustrating thing about James, just look at it. You go back to James. There's, James just says, pursue the wanderers. He doesn't really tell you how. It's just like, yeah, but how am I supposed to do that? Let me just read this. You know this verse. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable and resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Can we just... Ask this honest question. How are you and how am I to pursue a wandering child? It is the question in many of our hearts, so let's just think about it for a minute. We've got to think about it through the lens of God our Father. Without that, we have nothing really to say. You cannot pursue someone who is wandering by compromising your beliefs or your lifestyle. You can't rescue them. But the opposite 
of compromise is you cut them off. You see how we're being always pulled? This party or that party? Well, if we're not going to compromise in what we believe in our lifestyle, if we're not going to affirm it and agree with it, then we just don't call me till you get this thing straightened out. You can't rescue somebody from quicksand by jumping in, right? You can't rescue them from quicksand by walking away. Either way, they perish. You with me? So how do we, how do we pursue a child? By not doing the extremes. That's the first thing. Let's know what we don't do. We are called to pursue And pursuing is not to treat your child like God never treated you. What what has God done in your life? Just think about it, some of us white-haired folk, and some of you not so white-haired. How did God pursue you? Did He not chase you? Did He not discipline you? Did He not oftentimes even make your life miserable? But He did so because the wages of sin is death. He did so. Because he loved us. And he loved us in truth. That's the way we pursue him. Warning is loving. Your warning to in a child's life could be the very instruments that saves them in the future. You tell me, older folks in the room, when the Holy Spirit used to convict you, when you laying in the bed at night when you were living like, living like a pagan, you tell me what that Holy Spirit's voice sounded like. Whose voice was it that would speak in your ear truth? It's probably your parents' voices or someone who influenced the grandparents' voices who would bring the truth back. Why? Because they were the conduits of grace in your life and you didn't even realize it. So are we. I once, this is, a, this is an actual situation that happened in my side of the family years ago. My dad's told me this story over and over again. It never loses its power. He said he was one of our one of our. Dudes back in the day had a boy that was carousing, get drunk, get in trouble, get arrested, call his dad to bail him out. Same thing, over, over, over. His dad finally came up to him, got him out of jail one last time and said, son, I can't keep doing this. To which his son said, pop, I'm just getting started. So what did he do? He went home, opened up his family Bible, took out his pen scratched his name out of the family Bible, and for the rest of his life, he treated that like him. He wasn't even his son. I ask you, does that sound like God the Father to you? No. You keep them close. That's how you pursue them. Don't, but don't compromise your Christian values. You do both. The greatest weapon we have for restoration is the truth wrapped in hospitality. And this has been our heart for months for you and for me. This is the secret weapon. When's the last time you asked somebody in this room out for coffee or lunch or just to come over to your house to hang out? Could it be that this is how we keep people? That we keep people through relationships. You don't keep them by guilt tripping them, shame slapping them, or fussing at them all the time. We listen, we care, we love, and we pray for that opportunity to impart truth. 
This takes grace. This takes patience. This takes self-control. But is this not what the Holy Spirit promises to give us anyway? Don't wait for him to call you. You are called to pursue. Did not the Lord say a new commandment I give to you? That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, yes, even your own kids. We pursue in order to restore. That is our goal. First to God and then to others. We want them to restore to God. That's our motivation. James 6.1 says this. Now, now we're getting into some how now. As Paul, Paul, Paul elaborates. Galatians 6.1. This is a little bit of how here. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch lest you be tempted. So do you see some of the how here? How do you restore some bodily? Gently and humbly. You must, before the truth is embraced, you must expose the lie. Expose the lie. Reveal the truth. And let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. Because we're not Him. We make really lousy Holy Spirit. <laughs> but listen. None of this... Most of your New Testament makes absolutely no sense if there's not a local church. If there's not a visible expression of the invisible church to which we restore people first to God and then to each other, this makes no sense. If you go to 2 Corinthians in chapter 2 and verse 5, you see somebody was caught up in some type of sin. And what type it was is not important. The point was the church dealt with it. And here's what Paul is telling them to do now. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 5 says, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you. For such one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Now, you tell me what that makes any sense at all if there's not a local church by which to reach out to him and by which that he's not supposed to be pulled back into. In other words, this pursuing and restoring, you have to use everything James has taught us. Could it be this is the point? It's one of them. Because if you're going to do this, it's going to take humility. He's told us about that, hasn't he? It's going to be take wisdom and patience, and righteousness. Because if you're going to pursue somebody, you got to be able to take the punch and keep on loving them. They're not going to thank you for chasing them. Do you need to be thanked to do what God tells us to do? No. Obedience by faith is His own reward. God will reward us in eternity. But right now, God has told us to pursue. The sheep... Don't thank the shepherd. He just rescues them. And so do we because the good shepherd rescued us. We seek to pursue in order to restore. Look at verse 20. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death 
and will cover a multitude of sin. This is quite an amazing promise to us rescuers, to us pursuers. He says that we'll save them from two things, physical death and spiritual death. This has, sin has a physical consequence. L- listen to what James has already told us, James 1.14. It said, but each person is tempted when he is allured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth what? Death. Another sobering passage in the Bible, 1 John 5, 16, says this. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that, you, that one should pray for that. All wrong doing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. And unless you just fall in a hole of What sin leads to death? A lot of sins lead to death. Some more specifically than others. This is John's point. Sin is darkness, death. Righteousness, light, life. Sin. Listen, much of what we are calling mental illness today has just been sin over years and sometimes generations that nobody repents of, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. Sin, brothers and sisters, will drive you crazy. We are not meant to play with it. We are not meant for it to abide in us no more than cancer is meant to live in your body. It will destroy you. Bitterness and anger left undone will kill you. Yes, sin is a killer. It'll take your life, it'll take your joy, it'll take your peace, and eventually it'll take your mind. So by rescuing them, you see? Think about this in a positive. By you pursuing that person, that's what you're saving them from. Because sin always produces death, and no one gets out of that. It does not get better. It'll get worse. So we pursue them. And by rescuing them, we have saved their physical life. But also, you may well save them from spiritual death. Let's remember something. Turn with me to Ephesians. Let's remember this together. Ephesians is one of those books... But if you spend very much time with the Lord, you'll find yourself always going back to Ephesians. So let's just remember this in our rescue efforts. Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit now is working the sons of disobedience, amongst whom we all once lived in passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you remember your but God? This is important. (laughs) Some wander away and do not return because they have not had a but God in their life. This is epidemic in our age. Because over the last 50 years, we have just said, just walk an aisle and say a prayer and it's all good. You don't want to go to hell, do you? And so people who don't want to go to hell, walk an aisle. And people who don't go to hell, say a prayer. They have never had a but God. Jeff preached to the rescue mission this week on the holiness of God. No better. Why is that important? Because in order to be saved, you must see God. And in order to be saved, then you must see yourself. And you must throw himself on the mercy of the only one who can save you. And his name is Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that saves. Not some hokey prayer or stupid class that someone tells you to do. Only when you see God for who he is and see yourself for who he is can you be saved. Repentance and faith is that which restores the person. And when we pursue people, it ain't on me whether they are truly born again or whether they're not. I want to see about God in their life. And if they've had one, I want to stir up that but God in their life. And if they've had not I want to pray that they see God and see themselves and be gloriously saved. They need a Christianity, you see, that's more than just keeping them out of hell. They need a Christianity that can help them heal in what they're going through right now. They need a Christianity that will bring them joy in the brokenness of life that transcends their situation and will pursue them no matter where they find themselves. That's what they need. And that's the Christianity of the Bible that we must get back to, brothers and sisters. Sin is a killer, but Christ is the Savior. And so I can tell any person, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. And to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've wandered, you will be forgiven. This is just the truth. Until we all get to heaven, we will always be sinners and need to repent. I got nothing to rise up in arrogance for. If I asked you pursue me as your pastor because you are concerned about something in my life, that's the greatest privilege and protection I have in my life. We will always serve a father who is mighty to save. Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to God who will abundantly pardon What I'm calling you to today is hard work. It's our work. It's the church's work. It's messy work. Couldn't help but think, Michael was talking about Jonah this week. You know the story of Jonah. I'll have to preach another message on Jonah. But here's the two things that always grabbed me about God in the book of Jonah. God's pursuing grace and God's preserving grace. His 
pursuing grace and his preserving grace. And if you're going to venture in this calling, you need both. And here's the promise. This is not only for us who pursue. It is for those that we are pursuing. I know no better prayer than to pray for God's pursuing grace in those that we love that have wandered. And God's preserving grace while they're away. I don't know of a better prayer for you as a parent or grandparent. But this I know. And preachers don't, don't usually supposed to give personal testimonies that much. But I have a little one. I am alive today because of praying parents. And I am alive today because of a sister that never gave up on me when everybody else did. She was a conduit of grace in the dark night of my soul. And if she would not have pursued me, I would not have married my beautiful wife. I would have not had five kids. I would not have the pleasure of running a business for 30 years, nor be your pastor. Those were the simple means of grace that brought me back to restoration to the God I loved. And that's your calling. So what today? You need to realize how easy it is for you to wonder. We're about to sing a song here in a few minutes called that Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It's, it's famous for this line, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. You may not know the story behind this. This is not an uncommon story amongst those who wrote some of the most important songs in our life. Robert Robinson is the author of this. He was saved under George Whitfield's ministry after about a three-year spiritual struggle. After his conversion, about two years later, he would pen that great hymn. And yet Robinson's life would be characterized, his whole life, with this tendency to wonder. This song that he wrote was the very confession of his soul. It was his ultimate weakness that he struggled with his whole life. His whole life he bounced around from denomination to denomination and doctrine to doctrine, finally falling into heretics, and he would end his life. He would, he would die one day with nobody really knowing the final state of his soul. That's his story. This hymn that we read was his struggle in life. This was... A story that has been told, and most people think it, it really did happen. Robinson was in a stagecoach. This was way back in the 1700s, riding somewhere, and he got, and another woman got in the car, and as, as this is the car, in the stagecoach, and as they were riding down the road, she was singing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And she could tell it was, it was just getting all over this man beside her. She had no idea who it was. And she said, What do you think about this song? She said, he said, with tears running down his face, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote the hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. So, to those who may need to hear this today, Robinson's wandering looked different than some. 
Do you often wander between doctrines and denominations? Do you often major on minors neglecting what really matters? Do you strain on gnats and swallow camels? Do every time God gives you people who love you and want to hold you accountable, you bail on them? That was his wandering. Don't let it be yours. Joel 2, 12 says this, hear the word of the prophet. This is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He's eager to relent and not punish. This is the God that we call people to come back to. We need to realize our tendency to wonder, and we need to realize our need of accountability. Because we are so prone to wonder, we need accountability in our life. And so, I end where I began in Ecclesiastes. Because here's what he says. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Two people are better than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braid cord is not easily broken. God has ordained the local church to be where you live life in loving community that values both you and your holiness. Are you a part of this community? And Battleground Community Church, let's not forget, this is key to our future growth. Not renovating our building space. Not adopting new programs that scratches every itch. It is how well you practice hospitality that determines the growth. It's how you are willing, how you are willing to leverage that which God has already given you. He's already given you a skill set. He's already given you a hobby. He's already given you a home. Leverage it all to rescue the perishing. Leverage it all to restore the wandering. This is what we mean when we say, let's move forward together by faith. I always wonder when I read that story about Robinson's Come Thou Fount. Did he have that one that pursued him? Did he have that one brother or sister that said, no, they're not going down on my watch. Let's be those people, brothers and sisters. To this we are called. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, we finish out this amazing book of James that has worked on me. And so, Lord, we come humbly now to our time of response where we stand and sing. Lord, we come to respond by coming to the tables.
And so, Lord, before we come to the tables now and before we stand and offer our worship and before we have fellowship together in a minute and then go out into this broken world, Lord, we come to the cross. We come to confess our sins, those we know and those we don't know, to you. We confess them to you because you're both our God and you're our Father. We confess them to you because Jesus stands as our advocate, having lived and died and rose again, ascended, sitting on the right hand with you, Lord. We, we come in his name and we ask for forgiveness that he purchased for us on that tree many years ago, Lord. We come and ask you for forgiveness. Lord, this could have been the millionth time we've come to ask that. And it could be the very first one. Lord, we are calling you today to save the wanderer. Pursue them with your grace. Use us. But now, God, we come just to enjoy you, to come to the tables and to remember the work of your son and to remember that one day we will all sit together as your children forever. We long for that day, Lord. But today we remember that which you have done in the past, that which you're doing in the present, and that which you promise us in the future as we come to the tables and we lift our voices, Lord, as Robinson did so many years ago and as congregations have done for hundreds of years, we do now. This is the confession of our heart. Hold us fast, God. Hold us together. In Jesus' name, amen.